podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Everybody. My name is Todd Luby. I'm the executive director of Ben Film, uh, the organization that runs a festival and a 30-seat micro cinema here in beautiful Bend, Oregon, Central Oregon. Um, and what you might know me for is, uh, well, I've been at this job for about eight years, um, building this festival up to now an Academy qualifying festival, uh, one of the 25 coolest festivals in the world. Uh, it's been a lot of fun going, um, doing that <laughs> and, uh, now running, uh, uh, a daily cinema, which is, uh, you know, a lifelong dream of mine. And, um, yeah, before that I was a filmmaker, um, making a lot of uh, narrative and documentary features and, um, you know, running the fest circuit and now I'm enjoying this. And, uh, what we're working on is building the festival, up uh, even more. Uh, getting prepared for our 20th anniversary or 2023 and see what else we could do with this thing and, and what we can do with uh, film to make sure that uh, better films are being made by more people. Uh, so that's a, that's kind of a long-term goal. Todd Luby, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. Anytime. And congratulations on being an Academy uh award uh film festival um qualifying film festival that's a huge deal uh you mentioned a little bit about your past before mm-hmm. becoming the executive director of the bend film uh, festival so i want to give this audience a little deeper sense of what you've been working on i'm going to read from a mm-hmm. bio as i always say this is the internet so if anything sounds incorrect <laughs> feel free to amend to that and uh <laughs> Uh, make me repent for my sins. Uh, yeah. Todd has led the Bend Film Organization since 2014. In that time, the organization's budget tripled. It has acquired a daily operating cin- cinema, the Tin Pan Theater, and was named top 25 coolest festivals in the world in 2019. Todd began his professional career as a business manager for Chicago's largest general construction firm, While working in the construction business, he taught himself filmmaking and eventually made the leap to full-time filmmaking in 2008. Todd's second narrative feature, Lefty, screened at festivals across the country and was named in the top 10 movies of 2009 by the Chicago Tribune's Metro Mix. His follow-up, Son of None, a narrative short shot in Liberia, won the Special Jury Award at Slamdance 2011, and won Best Short at the Boston Film Festival. Todd's last narrative feature, Be Good, stars established filmmakers and actors Amy Siemens and Joe Swanberg, and was called Well Acted, Crafted, and Observed by Variety. Prior to Ben Film, Todd was the executive director of the Franciscan Works, of Franciscan Works, excuse me, an organization that currently supports a boarding school and 15-acre farm in Liberia, West Africa. 
That's pretty amazing. And one of the things that jumped out to me right away was that this thing is happening in Bend, Oregon. So B-E-N-D, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Now, I have had the pleasure of spending some time in Bend, Oregon. And it is, yeah, and I would love to. It is one of the secret treasures of this country. So for these listeners that don't know why a film festival in Bend, Oregon would be named top 25 coolest festivals in the country. Tell us about and describe Bend, Oregon for, for folks. It can, it can be described several ways. Let's say there's, there's a few different things going on here, which I find really fascinating, you know? So let's say when I was in Chicago, you know, knowing, uh, hearing about Bend, um, all I know is that, you know, as a city kid is, um, you know, that there's mountains, there's skiing, there's mountain biking, and it's beautiful country. You know, that's kind of all I knew, uh, never having been here. And that's kind of the reputation that I think it has, say, out east. The most interesting thing about, you know, this town, I think, is that it's it's big. You know, there's it, relatively, you know, uh, there's about 100,000 people that live, you know, in and around Bend. So, yes, you do have that, uh, you know, you do have a mountain that's 25 minutes away. Um, you do have, you know, 3,000 miles of bike trails out there that stuff but what you also have is a city um you know you you have a town of a hundred thousand people and people that are for the most part moving here because you know it's a destination like this is some place that people want to relocate to and engage in and you know what you find is that like a lot of people come out um you know for maybe a smaller town experience and for that proximity to the outdoors and you know all the beautiful natural things that happen and then what you what you see is that you know a lot of people come from cities and they um they do miss the you know the big cultural scenes that happen in cities right so what uh what you find here is is a kind of a perfect mix of of culture and escape let's Mm. say you know escape to the outdoors uh so it, it is you know it is beautiful like you know if you're up high out east looking west you see you know you could see these seven beautiful snow-capped peaks and just miles of um of trees you know of uh of fir trees but as you get into the downtown and the city and um you know new neighborhoods that are popping up in more industrial districts then you get into kind of the the crazy culture that's going on and uh, i think that's what's really uh unique about this place as far as mountain towns go and um you know, and it is sort of just, it's, it's a whiteboard that anything can happen, you know, like everyone's moving here and everyone has, you know, ideas of, of things to do, the things that aren't here being met and, you know, uh, trying their own thing. So, and that happens creatively and, you know, uh, community organization, things like that. Uh, it's been really cool to engage in and see what people are coming up with. So, you know, since this is like the make it podcast, like I, I feel that there, there is this entrepreneurial spirit that, um, you know, that's, that's really alive here. People just kind of coming out here and figuring it out. Yeah. I, I felt that for sure. Uh, I went there and experienced incredible beer. Yeah. 
incredible food. I didn't even mention the beer with all that. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, like after eight years, like that's a huge selling point early on, but you like, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild that beer scene and, and like with all other stuff going on, like I'm saying, I forgot about that. And, and that's actually kind of a big deal because it's awesome. It is. It is. I was up there with my friend Carissa and, um, the outdoors thing is real. We, we actually got yeah. inspired to run five miles together in the freezing cold just because nice. we saw the trails. We're like, yeah, we're like, how are we going to see the city? We're like, Oh, right. the best way to see the city is just to take a run. Like the trails mm-hmm. go straight through. And so mm-hmm. I would encourage right. A- right. anyone to go and make sure you go and uh, visit this film festival as well. And we're going to talk more mm-hmm. about that. It uh, happens uh, October 6th through the 9th. Uh, in person and October 10th through the 23rd, virtually. We'll talk more about that and plug that some more as we go. I'm curious how you taught yourself filmmaking. Uh, Was there a moment in your childhood coming up where you realized you wanted a life in film? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. um, uh, The only thing, you know, so I grew up uh, on the far South side of Chicago so I was in the city and, you know, it was like a kind of an Irish neighborhood with, uh, you know, there's a lot of like cops and firemen and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a little, little blue collar neighborhood. And, um, you know, so everyone, uh, you know, there were no artists like in the neighborhood. There's, there's, you know, um, art wasn't a thing. So, you know, film as a, but it Film wasn't a thing. People saw movies, right? But mm-hmm. film, you know, no one, I, had, I hadn't heard the word film till I was like 17 or something, you know? So, uh, you know, like there, there's no example of someone, oh, he's a filmmaker. I want to do what that guy does. It's like, oh, you know, I want to be a cop, a fireman or a lawyer, or, you know, maybe that guy's an engineer. That's kind of where I was going. And, um, uh, and that was like what you did. So, but there was this one dude who lived on our block and he, uh, you know, he was known as kind of a, uh, I don't know, just, just, a, an interesting guy. And he, um, everyone heard that he was making a movie mm-hmm. at one point, you know, like he was a few years older than us. And, uh, you know, he, so he was in the barbershop down the street and, and making a movie. Um, and like, that was the first thing that you know, probably in my head at, you know, whatever, 12, 13 knew that people did this thing, you know, um, made movies. Right. So never really thought about it again until I went to college and, uh, went to the university of Illinois down in Champaign. And there was like an intro, I was in, you know, an engineering major, but there was an intro to, uh, there was an English one Oh three class it was called, mm. but it was like an intro to film. So it was mostly just like film story, you know, film theory or whatever, but it was awesome because you would watch a movie a week and then talk about it. So a lot of Hitchcock and, uh, um, you know, it's all like daughters of the dust and, um, uh, meshes in the afternoon and, you know, it, but the, the biggest thing was like the end movie was apocalypse now, which they showed on these big, huge, you know, the, the old laser discs. And that was a big thing. Like, Ooh, look at this new technology, <laughs> you know? But it was cool. Like you just sit in the library and like, you know, like I, I had seen apocalypse now before and, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a, they had a cool, really cool screening room and, uh, I saw so I was blown away. And then, you know, so after that class, then I, I did, you know, sort of 
start looking more into film and, and seeing it as like something that, you know, Hey, this might be interesting because, you know, engineering at the time wasn't totally cut. And I, I don't think I was necessarily prepared to, you know, by my high school, um, you know, uh, to like excel in uh, engineering just because our like computer program was just so, you know, uh, ancient. Right. And, uh, and it was so robust then in school. So you're like, whoa. So anyway, I, um, yeah, so I got really interested, but you know, I, I still kept with sort of engineering and I, you know, I, I went to, um, on to get a master's degree in environmental engineering. And, uh, but, um, I always had this thing in the back of my head, you know? Um, and in fact, like when I was graduating from undergrad, um, I got a part in, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nice. And, um, and, and the experience was awesome. Like it, it was really, um, you know, eye opening and, you know, it, it furthered my interest in the arts, you know, never having experience, never done a high school play or anything like that. And, um, uh, so it, as I got out of grad school, actually, uh, it was my, it was my last semester of grad school or as actually in this play. So I was sort of deferring that film thing for like four to six years. And then was, play there, was there a fear it. there? Is that why you were deferring it? Like, like to tell your family yeah. and that, Hey, I really am interested. I caught the yeah. bug. Yeah. I think that that was a big part, you know, like the, you know, again, you know, coming from that blue color background, no one knowing any artists that like have made it. It's like, well, you got, you know, why you got this engineering degree. Why would you ever do anything different? You yeah. know, um, why would you not like make the, you know, good money? Because, uh, you know, parents saying like, well, we didn't really have these opportunities. So, you know, don't, don't uh, flush down the toilet. Right. So, you know, it, 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 that's sort of the mentality and it's, um, you know, it, it makes sense, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't easy, super easy growing up, you know, with, um, you know, uh, you know, nothing was hard necessarily. But, you know, it's like there, there was always times, I think, where, you know, during my upbringing where my parents were worried, you know, um, we, you know, they they worked really hard to put us through Catholic school and stuff because um, the public schools weren't really good. Mm -hmm. And um, we, uh, you know, so a lot of times there were, you know, real tentative moments and I, I could see. You know, so I understand that mentality. And um, it's almost like you had to come out as an artist. Well, that's exactly <laughs> totally what it was. And, you know, to everyone's credit in my in my family is like, uh, you know, when I was in that play, like they did make the road trip down to Champaign to see, you know, to see the play. And and we're pretty like, whoa, OK, dang, I, I you know, I thought you were, you know, we always knew you were weird, but. <laughs> you know, we, now we actually see something, however, do it on the side. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I moved to Chicago after graduating and, uh, got involved in improv Olympic. Um, so I had a buddy, in fact, uh, you know, my buddy who moved to Nashville, um, he was, he was always doing stand up and or second city in Chicago in, um, 
he said, well, come do this improv Olympic with me. And improv Olympia is now called IO, but, um, you know, it, it, it was essentially the hub of, of, you know, of improv in Chicago. And frankly, the country, um, when you have like Sharna Halpern and Del Close, just legends in the improv uh, world, um, you know, that launched, um, you know, Jason Sudeikis and, uh, and, um, uh, geez. Um, so do they do kids, do they do kids in the hall as well? No, kids in the hall was, uh, they were Canadian, but either, um, I think kids in the hall did come from like, say second city. I thought they came from, yeah. One of the popular improv houses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so one of those, the kind of offshoots, you know, like, um, and there's, uh, <clears throat> you know, even like say Will Ferrell kind of comes from some, some, uh, offshoot of improv Olympic. Uh, mm-hmm. and I forget that, you know, like, so they went out LA, like improv Olympic, some guys, uh, and when went out to LA and started, um, whatever the troop that, uh, Farrell was a part of. And then in, um, New York, I think it was called like up, upright citizens brigade. Yeah. 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 Maybe like Amy Poehler or something that came from there. And, you know, anyway, so it all started in Chicago and, and, you know, so this was a great hub. So like, I would just, I would go there because students could see, could see, uh, free shows. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I lived on the North side of Chicago at that point. Um, and I would just go and, and just sit in the theater and, uh, and watch these people and was just blown away. Like it, it you know, like that was in the early 2000s. So you do see people like, um, you know, Jack McBriar, who, um, I haven't really watched 30 rock. I apologize, but you know, the, the show was founded <laughs> by, uh, you know, so I, I know I, for some reason, um, it, it's, I'm embarrassed, but, um, her name's totally escaping me. It's still early in the morning. Tina only three quarters. Tina Fey, my God. Thank you. That might mm-hmm. happen a couple times in this interview. So if you get my back on, on those things, I've I got your back, it. brother. I got your back. Thank you. I, I got three quarters of a cup through coffee and I, I need more. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So Tina Fey and then Jack McBriar, who's like the page guy in 30 Rock. You know, so I watch him and like guys like Dan Beckendall and, and mostly like the cast of Veep. Mm-hmm. were all these people that I would sit there and watch um, and just blown away by it. And while I was doing that, so I, you know, I had this good buddy um, and he was working at, let's just say an internship in Portland. And for this internship, they would get all this overstock stuff and give it away to the people they were working with. And he goes, at one point he meets up with me and you know, we're back in Chicago and he says, Hey, I don't know what to do with this camera, but they gave this camera as part of the internship. I know, you know, you're really in the film, so check it out. And, um, it was a, just a, it was a really early model mini DV mm-hmm. camera. So probably from like 97, the model was, and I remember he handed it to me and then I, I spent all night, like reading the manual and like getting really excited about what these things could do. Um, so that just kind of started. So then in, in what was really cool about it, and I hadn't really seen models like this after, but this particular model, and it might've been some kind of prototype, you know, and that's why it got to this overstock thing was, was literally like that big. So this is in the late nineties and, and literally could fit in my jeans pocket. 
So I brought that thing everywhere in my early 20s. So yeah. as we bounced around <laughs> Chicago, I would just, I would just film everything. And, uh, um, yeah, someday I'm going to revisit. I mean, that stuff's like 20 years old now. So it'll be really cool to go back over that stuff, uh, at some point. But, uh, so I would just film stuff and then I, I would, you know, I didn't splurge yet on a computer, but I would, I would literally line up two VCRs and run the mini DV through one VCR. Um, and you know, and, uh, re-record, mm. uh, what was that on a VHS tape? And then I would take that VHS tape was kind of the rough cut. So I'd, you know, record and pause and at the right moment, playing it on the mini DV hit, you know, record and, uh, and then that, that would be my first track. And then I'd loop it through again and, and through it, you know, and then I found this little mixer at some garage sale and I would then mix in music or do VO or something. And, you know, did that for a couple of years, just kind of learning it. And then I finally got an iMac in like Oh one or two or whatever. When I, when I had, a can, um, when I was working in construction management and finally had some money and then I would just, you know, I'd work all day and then spend all night doing improv and or editing, um, uh, that stuff. So just teach myself how to do it until, until, you know, so I did that for about seven years until, uh, the construction company I worked for said, Hey, you're in the film. We want to film, uh, the project. They were building a new air traffic control tower right. at O'Hare. Yeah. And they, and they said, why don't you film that? So they paid me like a, a, a lot of money. So I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll do it. And then I had a boss who said, yeah, you can't do both. And I said, okay, I'll do film. And you know, they, they bridged that, um, that time where, you know, I needed some money. So at that point, you know, going back to the fact that, you know, you should make a living doing something like this. Like I had that security. So at that point then I was like, okay, this isn't much, this isn't a huge risk, uh, since I am going to make money to film. So I'll go film my and quit that job that I didn't, you know, like learned a lot from, but didn't like. Right. And uh, I've always thought that people who have an engineering mind, Mm -hmm have what it takes to be uh above average or great at music or film mm. it's like the same muscle thank you and, for and, and, saying that yeah and then vice versa if you find yourself mm-hmm. being really good at film or cinematography or playing piano or guitar or something like that there's probably a pretty yep. good chance you'd be a good engineer as well because you're right. a problem solver yeah yeah that uh that's yeah i mean that's I think what it boils down to, and it's really interesting you say that because a lot of people, you know, who are brought up as artists and then get into say some sort of business or you need some sort of routine to create or whatever. And you do find that they do, you know, adapt all of these organizational things that, you know, engineers start with, um, you know, so it's really fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 kind of the same brain space, though. Mo- in in like uh, you know, common, let's say perception is is that that's two totally different things. Right? I find they're they're very find, uh, yeah. they're very closely related. I find you know? the same thing. They're they're very very similar. So you got this job shooting a film for O'Hare Air Traffic mm-hmm. Control, which. Is, it, yeah, it is, so cool. is it's kind of like you put your intention out in the world and then someone noticed it. And then it, it even yeah. came, the universe mm-hmm. came and found you and said, 
okay, yeah. shoot this film, even though it's not the film you wanted to shoot. Then yeah. you made that transition out of that construction job into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. How many sleepless nights did you have trying to make that transition? And, and yeah. how did you explain that to, to everyone in your life that you were going to leave this construction job that had been lucrative for you? Right. Yeah. You know, um, when you say that to you, yeah, I can't discount privilege at all. You know, I like, I talk about this blue collar thing and whatnot, but the interesting thing about where I grew up is it was, it was a very well connected neighborhood. You mm-hmm. know, like I went to high school with, uh, you know, mayor Daly, son. you know, he was my age. It, so in the, you know, this high school, this high school is, um, you know, a relatively well-known one on the South side called uh, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel. So, yep. you know, like Donovan Mc, Donovan McNabb was a year behind me. Simeon Rice was a year ahead of me. Um, uh, and, um, you know, so it's relatively well known, but it's a, it's a blue collar school, but it's really well connected. So, you know, I, I, yes, I like made these decisions and I took these risks, but you know, I had the privilege of those connections where, um, you know, I I'm in a right environment to hopefully someone pick up on that, what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself out in the universe. Um, I knew enough people with enough resources or influence or whatever that, you know, I wasn't totally, you know, just throwing it all out there. Got so, it. you know, like that, that's important to say, you know, um, because I know, you know, there's so many artists here that really like, there's no, there's no plan B, you know, like this is, and this, these are people I've always admired that really rolled the dice, really took a risk, really, you know, went in all or nothing. Right. And, uh, it's a, it's a different, it's, it's a different life experience for sure. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, artists that do that and succeed, uh, deserve all the credit, uh, you know, um, and those that don't, don't deserve, you know, any, um, uh, what I want to say, like Discredit. derision because yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause perhaps they didn't have those, you know, the resources or the luck that other people had. So anyway, but yeah, I mean that, that the, the only like lesson in that is, you know, if you do feel it and you do want to, the, you know, you, you do have to give it a shot at some point. You know, um, you know, so kind of back to your credit is like, you do have to throw it out to the universe and see what happens. Yeah. You you owe it to yourself. Plan B. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like, I always equate it to a tightrope walker. Right. So yeah. Yeah. There's a different focus and a different level of interest in a tightrope walker that doesn't have a safety net below him or her. Yeah. If totally. you go yeah. to a circus, you'll see a tightrope walker and then below there'll be a big giant safety net. And it's fascinating right. that they can do it, but you know that nobody's going to die. And that's really great. It's mm-hmm. actually pretty comforting. It's like, Oh God, they're not going to die. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> they make a mistake. And then you see these crazy right. guys that will tightrope between skyscrapers. And if they fall, it's over. And yeah, exactly. that brings in millions and millions and millions that scales. That brings in yeah. millions of people because right. we just can't believe it because we would never do it. Right. Uh, I was talking um, to uh, uh, one of the people that, that works with us named uh, Elise uh, the other day, and I was telling her that 
when someone bets you, like challenges you to a bet, what yeah. they're saying is, is I would never do that. Therefore, I'll bet you $50. You won't do it. Because uh, I would never do it. So therefore, I think it's a safe bet that you wouldn't. And I said, anytime someone right. does that, pop up, do the thing they're afraid of, and take your money and walk mm-hmm. away. Because, like because to be in this business is to be a bit fearless. And yeah. and they can't believe how fearless you you can actually be. Um, you you went into to filmmaking full time, you took that leap. Yeah. Maybe uh-huh. you had a small safety net, but I love the way you did it. And you went in and shot a feature right away. Um, what was your experience yeah. shooting lefty wearing so many hats? I assume you wore yeah. at least five hats shooting this. Well, the, the, you know, I, I don't talk about it much, but um, what preceded lefty was this movie, the site that I tried to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, you know, like while I was doing the construction and teaching myself filmmaking, um, going back to the engineering question is, you know, it, this movie primer came out in 04 and that's by Shane Carruth. Um, and you know, though we won't hear anything more from Shane, I think for a long time, um, rightfully. So he was a big inspiration, um, in that his experience seemed pretty similar. Like I think he actually had this engineering background and, and this was a big hit at Sundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, primer. So, you know, he had this engineering background, but the story of the movie is like he had $7,000 and he had a 16 millimeter camera and he had some buddies and he made this movie. So he sort of, you know, he, we came from the same brain space, at least, you know, there's something I could really identify with as, as far as creatively in that he said, this is what I got. Mm-hmm. I got $7,000. I got this camera. I got these friends how am I going to make a movie? And then everything kind of backs into that. He backs into the story and how it's going to be, you know, and it's a sci-fi movie. You know, when you hear sci-fi, you think big budgets and that, but you know, he did this thing for whatever seven grand on film, no less. And, you know, like the story is, is that he, um, you know, like the tales at the end of um, filming, like he literally had, you know, things that didn't make in the cut were like, you know, like a hundred frames of film, something crazy. Like he had it so planned out, um, that he was able to do it. And then it like one Sundance. And then, you know, it's, it's one of the bigger stories of, you know, indie filmmaking that happened in the 21st century. Um, so with that, you know, so I did the same thing, you know, like, so I was at this construction, I'm like, well, it's really interesting. I'm like, I I've never seen, you know, a movie about what happens on a construction site. And especially because, you know, at that point I was working uh, on the south side of Chicago, uh, building mixed income housing. And it's just, it's just fat. Oh, actually, you know, I was at the University of Chicago at that point, And it's, it was fascinating. So that was in Hyde Park, um, which is this, you know, uh, uh, oasis around, um, you, know, you know, I went to high school really close to um, Hyde Park and Mount Carmel. But, um, you know, th- there's there's neighborhoods around there where there's high unemployment. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, this, this construction job, and there's a lot of construction going on at U of C because they have this huge endowment. And all of a sudden, all these people are coming in from God knows where and they're working. And then people in the neighborhood are going, well, what's up? You know, <laughs> we live right here. You, there's obviously jobs here, you know, like why, you know, why can't we get jobs? So it was, it was, 
a really fascinating dynamic of how like everything, you know, just kind of how cities work in all these different, um, uh, different and sometimes opposing interests come into play. They're on this like square block construction site, you know, and like the whole idea was, um, you know, that, uh, it is, it was sort of like a movie in that you have an architect who essentially writes a script and we were a general contractor and we were sort of the director of the project. And then you have your producers who are the people that own, you know, like UFC and the people that they hired, um, you know, are, are the producers or the EPs of this film. And you have all these construction workers who are the actors putting this building together, you know, yeah. in the building, obviously being the film at the end. And, you know, in, in all these different dynamics, these artistic and these commercial and these uh, socioeconomic and these racial and all, all this stuff was happening on this, on this one block. And it is, and everyone's under, you know, it's a pressure cooker because, you know, you're always behind schedule. You're always under budget and all this stuff. And uh, so, you know, I, I just came up with this idea of, um, you know, how to, uh, you know, like that this has never been done before and how to, how to do this without any money. So my, my thing was like, I'm going to make this feature for five grand mm -hmm. uh, on, on digital. Um, and, uh, and shoot it in, and set it in a construction trailer, you know, so all these forces over the course of one day converge on this construction trailer on this, you know, person. So, um, though I love, you know, like, I think the, the story's awesome and the idea is awesome. Like I had no idea what the hell I was doing <laughs> as a filmmaker <laughs> and, and it shows, uh, but you know, like I, I like, okay, I did it. I made this thing for five grand and you know, like, and I wound up like editing it for a year until I was like, yeah, you know, this isn't, this isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so that whole process, so teaching myself like how to shoot something and how to, you know, I was already editing and I edited a lot of stuff, so I knew how to edit, but like crafting a story and, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, this thing should have been 90 minutes. And then, you know, my edit was like, this is 70 because those 20 minutes are garbage. Um, you know, so like how to craft a story in the editing room. So all that stuff was like that self-taught, that self-teaching, um, like I was saying. And then um, kind of had the same, uh, so that, that was in like one fest. And I realized, you know, why it was only in, in one festival, this one that started up, but it was like that one fest. And this is something that I always remember, you know, to this day, um, and why I think I gravitated to the festival world is that, um, you know, that one fest kept me going, you know, I don't think I would have still pursued this if I had spent, you know, probably at that time, you know, you know, the 5,000 eeks up to like seven or eight when you do best submissions and, and all this other stuff, maybe buying new computers or whatever. So, you know, five to seven grand, two years of time, essentially. And then nothing comes of it, you know, right. tons of knowledge. Right. Yeah. But nothing comes of it. You know, like at that point it's like, okay, well you gave it a shot, mm, you know, go back to a, a, a regular job. Um, but that one fast is like, oh, okay, well, someone liked it. All right, maybe I'll keep going, you know. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, so, it, like, that, you know, I, I don't, 
I, I, I've always carried that with me because, uh, and you know, like my admiration for the one festival director that led me in this guy, Richard Shino in Mason, Iowa, who, uh, who ran like the Iowa independent film fest. Um, and, uh, I'll never forget that because, you know, and that's sort of the opportunities that I look for here in this job at Ben film knowing that, you know, um, that's, that's our job here is to uh, I find it, give people that inspiration to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I, f- I find it fascinating that so many people, and this, please take this the right way, that the, that the, uh, the place where dreams live and die is, you know, on the precipice of acceptance. Right. You know, it's yeah. like this idea that I wouldn't be talking to you today if a festival director in Iowa didn't accept your film right. blows my mind. Yeah, it, it's pretty wild. You know, that one thing and, you know, um, it, it, it is. It's like, it, and that's another thing I was talking about, like these artists that, you know, like I didn't put 10,000 hours into the making of this movie or to my film career or whatever. Right. But there's so many people that do 10, 20, whatever. And that's, that's just nuts to, um, to me to, to spend that much time. So we're talking, you know, probably 10,000 hours, two or three films Mm -hmm. that don't do anything. And they're still going. I'm like, I love that tenacity of, of a lot of artists. Um, you know, because you do like there, there's no way, there are people that do it. I love it. Um, we made a, we made a program out of it for features, but you know, like just to how to carry yourself on a set, if you've never done it before, like just that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not, not only like knowing your voice and how to put your voice out there, which is a huge thing. And it's a process that might take time, but then how do you run everything? You know? So like to do it on your first time, is is so hard and it's also so expensive to, to do it for a first time. So to survive, to do it again, when nothing comes of it, when that acceptance hasn't come, um, you know, it's just, it's really admirable. Yeah. It's about having something to say. And there's a movie Coda. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's no man. I can't say I want to see Coda so bad. It's got nominated for a few uh, Academy awards. It's really great. I was an emotional wreck Mm -hmm. at the end, uh, full disclosure. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) but there's a great line in it where, uh, the music teacher in the, in the film, uh, I can't remember the actor's name that played that part, but you know, he was wonderful. Um, he says, there's a lot of pretty voices that don't have anything to say. And mm. he mentions that David Bowie described Bob Dylan's voice as sand and glue. <laughs> and, but yep. the difference was, is, you know, Bob Dylan had something to say. It didn't matter that his voice sounded like sand yeah. and glue. So right. if you're a filmmaker, have something to say. Uh, speaking of, of which, I want to dig into Bend mm-hmm. uh, film a little bit. I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that uh, this is going to take place this year, October 6th through 9th in person. It's a three-day in-person festival followed by a 13-day virtual festival. So so what is your strategy? Mm-hmm. That's that's really unique. What What is your strategy there? Yeah. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of festivals are, are doing some 
you know, uh, version of, you know, a hybrid or figure or just going virtual or just going in person. Um, and <clears throat> what, what I found here is, is that, um, you know, in person, as far as a festival is just, you know, is the way to go. I mean, it, it's, it's a totally different and all encompassing experience, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love going to film fest. Um, and we have so many fans that just love going to fest. I mean, there, there's nothing like being in a theater, seeing something for the first time. That's amazing. And, um, you know, often independent films are really personal, mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on in a theater where people are, you know, um, really getting into say this director's, you know, life. And because these things are so personal, um, and, and you know, naturalistic that people are also like examining their own lives, mm -hmm. you know, this person's experience, how does this relate to me? And all this stuff is going on in the theater. And then at the most, you know, for the most part, the filmmaker then comes on stage. And so there's, there's this real, you know, uh, quick intimacy that develops, uh, with an in-person festival. And that's why, you know, um, I love this world. Um, so that will never be replaced. And, you know, as much as people, you know, say go online and as much great content is out there online, that type of experience will never go away. Mm -hmm. Um, it may be smaller, um, most likely will be, you know, some people might just drop out, you know, um, and, um, but what we're finding is, you know, especially with the platforms that are now available, um, cause we use this, um, we use this system of Ventive. Mm -hmm. We were the second festival to use them for ticketing back in 2016. And they've since grown to do ticketing for all these festivals. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, in two weeks, they invented a, um, you know, a basically a virtual festival platform. Because yeah. um, it's, it's engineered by this wonderkind who's actually um, from Memphis, if you didn't know. I did not um, know that. Yeah, that's good info. Theo, Theo Pat is now, I think he actually, he was at Stanford, but I, I don't think he has time for Stanford because <laughs> he's doing so much crazy stuff. Like he invented the top, you know, virtual festival, uh, platform in two weeks. Um, you know, the, the best festival ticketing platform and now it's doing all kinds of crazy stuff with Google and whatnot. So like, you know, um, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. So within the space of two weeks when the pandemic hit, you know, like the best virtual platform was, you know, invented and we were already using it. So we started using it in, and then, you know, the big trick is, um, distributors allowing new platforms, new streaming services to host their films on. And once they saw the movies shut their theater shut down, there was nowhere to play their movies. So then they started working with us to, um, show their stuff on our channels, you know, so before they invented their own, you know, before, you know, let's say whatever HBO max got bigger for independent theaters, um, you know, Kino Lorber, an independent distributor, they invented their own, um, online streaming system. And now it sort of, everyone is doing it. Um, but there was a, there was a period where festivals were the only people that could do it. And, um, so all these people knew that we had, you know, curated these audiences for this type of content. 
you know, um, so they knew, well, if, if movies aren't in theaters and trailers aren't on social media, no one's going to know what to see of our movies because they don't put any money in advertising. Right. Kind of like the big studios do. So we are sort of their advertisers, you know, people come to us and say, what's good. And then when we say, well, you, you know, go to our theater and check this movie out and they go, okay, yeah, because you guys, you know, you know, film, um, you never let us down. So we're going to go see that movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so we started then hosting the best independent foreign films available, which those other streaming services weren't yet doing, you know, mm. so people were blowing through their Netflix queues and their prime, uh, in their prime <laughs> stuff. And right. you know, they're like, there's nothing else to watch. And then we come along and say, well, here's, you know, this new independent film that you would be seeing at the tin pan theater, but now you can see it online. So, you know, in, it's actually like, you know, it's so much easier to host events online and things like that, just because you don't have to have so many people in moving parts and pieces. Um, so we just, you know, it, because the system was so easy to use, which we'll just, we just kept using the virtual uh, element. And when we first did an online festival in 2020, um, we got people from like, you know, 40 countries and 45 states. And, you know, so it was like, well, you know, people know about us, you know, we've always had like people traveling in for the festival from, mm -hmm. you know, up to 30 States and stuff. Um, about 25% of our audience was always travel. So, you know, there's people that knew about us all over the country. And then, so the virtual fest, um, was a way to, uh, you know, continue, um, you know, engaging with that audience that couldn't make it again to another festival, even though they, you know, not maybe it's not COVID that's stopping them, but whatever else, like they'll come when they can. And if they can't, all right, well, I'll just check it out on virtual because they do some cool stuff. Um, so that's, that's what, uh, I think we'll do, uh, for as long as it makes sense, you know, as long as people are tuning in, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue in this, this hybrid mode because you gotta have the in-person stuff because there's nothing like it. Right. And then, you know, you have the virtual, uh, for people who, you know, can't afford to come or, um, you know, wouldn't otherwise, uh, wouldn't be able to make it. Right. I think virtual so, also scales, which is yeah, super, exactly. super important. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the 72 hour filmmaker, filmmaker scramble? Yeah. And, and what uh, is your role in the scramble? Yeah. Um, so we've been, uh, working with, uh, this great organization scale house, um, you know, I think we've been doing this for about five years where we'd meet in the summer and, you know, I'd give a little shoestring budget filmmaking workshop. So, uh, you know, like just kind of using my philosophy of filmmaking in that, you know, you go with the constraints first. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is what I was talking about before is like, well, what do you have? You say, well, you got, you got to get this done in three days. You have no money and you have a camera and you have this team of three people. And here's a, here's an idea of a, you know, a movie. So, um, uh, you know, at the end of this workshop, we'd say, okay, well, here's your clue. Now you got three days to make a movie. Um, so submit this at Sunday at 6 PM or something. <laughs> right. And, uh, and then we'd have this, you know, the awesome, like outdoor screening, um, you know, during the summer to, you know, and then do the whole festival treatment of Q and a to every team. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it sounds like a blast. We have something similar, I guess, on the East Coast, a 48-hour film festival. It's yeah. kind of mm-hmm. similar. Um, the only thing with the 48 is that there's there are T's and C's or terms and conditions where you know you submit the film, but you have to write or call them for permission to use your film or monetize it because... Oh, really? Yeah, because I uh-huh. think they want to be cut in on the monetization. Yeah. Uh, they basically own the rights to your film. This huh. is this is oversimplification, Todd. But I yeah. believe they oh, own I believe that I think they own the rights to your film if if it runs oh. through their their festival. But from okay. but I know one of the people who helped run it, a great producer named Jennifer Bonnier. And mm-hmm. from her I think she says that it's they they're really not very strict. Like they have at this point, they have thousands and thousands and thousands mm. of films. And so, if yeah. you're one of the people who call and say, "Hey, can I have the rights to my film back?" I think they work it out with you pretty easily without a lot of fight. Oh, that's nice, at least. Uh, yeah, but but I don't think these filmmakers necessarily know that they don't own their film anymore once they huh. submit it. Uh, maybe they do. Somebody can hit me up, contact at bonsai.film or on Twitter. Let me know if I'm. Uh, full of shit here or not. Uh, <laughs> um, you talked about nothing's like being in person. I totally agree because the yeah. networking goes deep instead of wide. What right. can festival yeah. attendees expect this year? Um, yeah. So specifically, right. Well, um, you know, so attendees, um, you know, I, I think, what we try to do every year is to just broaden the experience. And um, so, you know, to, to make it more immersive. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're, if you're in the, if you're coming for the fest, like we're going to have so much going on and you're, you're going to be sort of transported to this world. That's not necessarily here, like everyday life, you know? So as soon as you get out of a, you know, as soon as you get into a theater, there's going to be, you know, a small band on stage. Nice. And it's going to be maybe background music as you talk about the last movie you play or your, what you're excited for, whatever, to people you just meet. Um, so that's going to be going on. And then, um, you know, you are going to be introduced to the filmmaker that's, that's going to show their movie. Um, and then you're going to have, you know, this Q&A with them after you get to meet them. And then, you know, you're, as you go to the next one, you're going to see some kind of, um, you know, let's just say some weird stuff going on outside. You know, we, uh, we did this a few years ago that I want to bring back. It's just like, you know, there's some cool, some cool cats in town doing some, you know, interesting, like circusy act type of stuff. <laughs> so hopefully as you walk from one bed to the next, you're going to see something really weird, some kind of street theater or something. And, um, you know, and then, you know, as you sit down to like a meal at a, at a place in between movies, you're going to run into someone who, um, you know, is going to be someone through their thing. And then you're just going to, um, go up and talk to them. What'd you see? What'd you like? What should I see? You know? Um, so that sort of thing, just transforming the town into this, um, this little oasis of, uh, of, you know, culture and a real engagement on what's going on in the world as well. It's an escape. So that's what I, you know, like when we talk about always like branding the festival, like whatever is going to be on screen is an engagement with what's going on in the world. Because like I said, independent film is very, there it's 
typically really personal. Personal stories transform to something fictional, let's say, or a documentary for that instance of like what what is really going on and here's the real story. And it's real immediate, you know, way more immediate than a studio can get something on the screen, you know, studios lag a couple years at least. Yep. So this thing happened two years ago. This was the mood. And now two years ago, we're going to have a movie about it. Whereas any film, you know, it, it shrinks down that, that timeline. And uh, so there's going to be a really deep engagement about what's going on in the world, interpreted from all different perspectives and life experiences. You know, mm. we love to have a lot of diversity in the program so that if you go to the festival, you can experience, you know, what's going on in the world from all these different angles. Um, you know, whether it's men, women, racially, uh, you know, uh, uh, country of origin, that sort of thing, you know, like that's, that's the type of experience we want to, um, we want to create. So it's a deep engagement in what's going on in the world, but, um, uh, you know, it's also totally separate from how the world is. So you're immersed in this atmosphere where you're you're really engaged and, and it's, and it's fun, even if issues you're talking about are hard and, and at the, you know, it's different in that you're engaging with everything that's going on versus when you're out of a festival world and you're going about your daily life, like all this stuff's going on and you're doing your best not to really, you know, uh, engage with it in your head because you go nuts you know, thinking about all the crazy stuff going on out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're sort of like, you know, trying to escape it, but it's always kind of there and it's building, you know, you never really address it or here's you address it and you're, you know, and it, and it has this cathartic, uh, uh, you know, uh, result. Um, there was a, a juror a couple of years ago, um, uh, Brandon Harris, who now runs his own production company. He used to work for Amazon. Mm -hmm. And he's great. And, uh, Brandon was, um, you know, he, he got on stage to introduce an award and he goes, he goes, man, it's, it's great to be at Ben. This is awesome. And he's like, I'm here and I, you know, while I'm here, I kind of, kind of forgetting about how shitty the world outside is. Oh, I love that. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, he, uh, you know, he put it in good perspective. Like, you know, yes, it's like it's bend and it's different than, you know, um, it's, it's slower and more spread out and, and, you know, prettier than, you know, a lot of cities and stuff. Um, but it's also that experience of, you know, of being in that sort of bubble and, you know, uh, a great musician, Jeff Tweedy once said, um, I think early on, where was it? Maybe it was in, um, I don't know, uh, maybe a woman's March protest, but he said, you know, you should come into our bubble because mm -hmm. our bubble has people of all walks of life. And, you know, like it's, it's not a bubble where any, you know, point of view, it's a bubble where all point of views are welcome, you know? So, uh, it, it kind of subverts that idea of bubble, whereas bubble is very, you know, uh, homogeneous. Yeah. Um, where that, you know, the bubble I'm talking about is this bubble where everything is, is welcome and all, uh, experiences are, uh, are represented hopefully, you know? Yeah, for sure. And what a great endorsement of what, 
the Bend Film Festival is by Brandon Harris. Uh, I, I want to hit mm-hmm. you, Todd, with some rapid fire questions. Okay, uh, <laughs> if that's okay with I you. I think my, I, yeah, I, I got through my coffee, so hopefully I can rapidly answer them. <laughs> uh, what are the two best pieces of advice you received so far in your career, and who did they come from? Yeah, and it's uh, you know, I was the, I, I think. It, you know, there, there's this one superintendent on a project I was working with, uh, working on when I was in construction. And he, uh, he said, you know, just, just have a goal. And I don't know if it struck with me because it's so obvious and that's how I was always thinking, or that this was new to me and that he's, you know, just have a goal. He's like, I wanted to have a boat. So I, I set a goal for two years. I'm going to have a boat. And, you know, it, then he started putting the pieces together. And I thought that was, you know, like, I think that story just still sticks with me. One conversation I had probably in like, Oh, two and 20 years later, I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, um, that's really good advice is just have a goal and you figure everything else you work yourself, uh, you work backwards to uh, achieve it, you know, yep. have a goal. I want a boat. It's not like I'm going to have a yacht or whatever. I'm going to have a boat. Okay. Well, what do I have to have a boat? You start piecing it together. I have two grand. Okay, I'm going to buy a, a hunk of junk. And now, since I set it up for two years, I'm going to figure out how to rehab it, you know, in those two years. For sure. I think that was a really good uh, piece of advice. And, in you know, like the other thing, and I don't know if this was a, uh, I guess I could say it like, you know, <laughs> in the construction job, there was this boss I had at one point that I couldn't stand. And, you know, he, he did, he was brilliant and really good at his job. I get it. But man, I just didn't like him. <laughs> but he said, he said, be insanely curious. So here, you know, like I'm coming from this environmental background and then I went into construction management just because I, you know, someone gave me the job um, and I wasn't doing anything else. And so I didn't know anything about construction. And, you know, and they didn't care. They just wanted people with an engineering mindset. So, um, this was part of the training and he said, be insanely curious, ask questions, um, see what you're capable of, you know? And that's, that's something that I'll like, that stuck with me too, is, you know, I think what's where I applied it most is be insanely curious about what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's, I, I see that sort of advice applied in, in many ways. You know, being out here, I watch a lot of, you know, outdoor adventure films and things like that. And it is like pushing, once you push yourself to a limit, you didn't think you could get, you know, like that is amazing what it does for like self-confidence and all different capacities of life, you know, like huh, I really was capable of doing that, you know, and I didn't right. think I could. And then you just keep setting those goals higher and higher. But what can you do? Take it as far as you can go and you'd be surprised at what you're capable of. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's, that was really uh, that advice and say mindset is <clears throat> really informative. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I have a similar piece of advice that it's like, have a goal and break it down. I'm always yeah. fascinated yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, about how 
people will talk about things they want as if they don't exist physically in the same world that they're in. Like, I'd love to one day have a Bugatti. Well, first of all, maybe that's maybe a vapid desire, but like, but okay, you want a Bugatti. Well, you got to define a Bugatti for me. Right. Well, you know that. What's a Bugatti? That's a really expensive car, right? So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) okay. It's all good. And it's like, well, you uh, talk about a Bugatti, like men and, yeah. and women didn't work, make it like, like it physically doesn't exist. So how much does mm-hmm. it cost? Okay. Cost that. Okay. Well, how much will, okay. uh, that cost you per year? And if you wanted to really start today, right. like if you really yeah. wanted a Bugatti, yeah. what's the amount of money you would need to save or earn per day mm-hmm. for X amount mm-hmm. of time to go buy it? And that's right. all you have to do. It's that whole reverse yeah. engineering thing and yeah. really breaking the, the gold down. Um, yeah, right. With those right. two pieces mm-hmm. of good advice you got, if you had to give filmmakers one piece of advice based on your experience running this festival, what would that advice be? Yeah. I, you know, if you, if you're a filmmaker or you're aspiring filmmaker, you know, it, for me, um, it, it's kind of the same thing is think small, you know, um, mm think about what you got. Think about, you know, uh, welcome the constraints. So, you know, um, the, the film that actually, for me, you know, actually wound up like doing something versus like, you know, creatively uh, helping me develop a voice and actually doing well as far as critically and audience wise, you know, was this film lefty and, mm-hmm. and that's a real exploration, let's say of the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the, in the mindset that we all had. Um, and so that was, well, what do I have? That's cool. You know, um, I have these friends that are funny. So, you know, most of the people in there weren't actors. They were just friends. Um, and we have this unique sort of neighborhood. Um, and, uh, so that's what we got. Um, all right. Now how to craft a movie around that. And it, you know what? So at the, at the festival, we developed this program called first features. And, it, and this is something I'm fascinated by is, you know, there's directors that come out and make these just mind blowing first features. Um, you know, like, uh, let's say, uh, Darren Aronofsky, you know, makes it high. So, right. So like, you know, maybe he made that for 20 grand and what he said, I'm in New York. Uh, you know, uh, maybe he had this, you know, like engineering mindset of of the whole Fibonacci secrets and pie or something. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a movie explore this kind of stuff. So he's, you know, like he did and then that goes to Sundance and you know, the rest of his history. There's so many stories like that. And, uh, what, I, what I love about it, and, th- and this came from, um, you know, kind of both reading, um, you know, Spike Lee did a, he, he wrote this great book about making of Malcolm X and, uh, John Sayles, uh, wrote this great book about, uh, the making of Madawan mm-hmm. and in it, you know, they kind of talk about the trajectory of their careers and each one, you know, has this unique, you know, this self actualization, let's say, of what do I have and what's lacking out there? You know, uh, where, what's my world experience that I'm not seeing on the screen. 
And I think that's a, you know, like that's the best thing for any filmmaker is, is to really explore internally, you know, what's going on. Um, because, you know, both of those, let's just say from filmmakers from, you know, different, um, life experiences did fill that, that gap of something that hadn't been out there, you know, um, you know, I think Spike's first movie, she got to have it right. Like there, there wasn't a movie like that beforehand, you know, like exploring, um, you know, black characters in that capacity, right. By, by, you know, someone, uh, coming from a black voice and, um, you know, so then obviously the movie's awesome. And and then he, he blows up. I wonder John sales is the same thing is like, well, this is, you know, like there's this big chill and, you know, but this is kind of lacking as, as far as Hollywood, you know, really exploring um, in kind of the 60s in retrospect. And he comes out with this Secaucus 7. And, you know, and then both filmmakers go on to to be inspirations for legions of filmmakers that come after him. Yeah. But that's always the thing is like, you know, instead of thinking big and let your imagination go, well, you know, think internally and think about your life experience and what you're not seeing out there and and make a movie about that yeah i think about harmony corinne making kids and totally perfect timing with the zeitgeist and you know it's what Mm -hmm. all the film critics want to see which is a feature film that that plays like a documentary and and that scares the hell out Mm -hmm. of you and all that stuff and scares the heck Mm -hmm. out of society and um, yeah yeah so, Uh so take what is happening in your world that you're not seeing out there right. uh in in the arts world and, and and make it um and i would say that you know that's story-wise as well as aesthetically you know yeah um because that that's one thing great thing that spike did too is you know just the different you know the, the vignettes and all this stuff that he was doing that you know he he kind of took the art form itself and and made a lot of changes you know like eh, i'm not seeing this in the art form as well as the story as well as the characters as well as the void yeah. Um, and that's why that, you know, that's why. So breaking down like that first feature, uh, like the dude, that's why that movie made it because it really did introduce something that had been out there. Yeah. A lot of innovation comes from this concept of integrative thinking where you take two ideas that are established and then combine mm, them. Right. Uh, so instead of totally. copying and yeah. going like one to N, and copying what already works, mm-hmm. you, you're able to combine two new things and then grind. So you go yeah. from in to one instead, which is yeah. super, super interesting. Um, which creatives do you most yeah. admire, Todd, and, and want to emulate? And what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Wow. I hadn't really thought of this in a long time, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, going back to sales, like, um, you know, he, he's a guy also that, uh, you know, had that sort of Shane Cruz mindset that I appreciated mm-hmm. in that, you know, he was always, um, bootstrapping his movies, you know, like he would make uh, a bunch of money, write scripts yeah. and then, you know, roll the dice on, you know, use all that money to do his own stuff that had more, you know, socially impactful, um, uh, themes, you know, and he, he would make movies you know essentially that mattered with the money that he would make for like making a van you know writing a van damn script you know this popcorn stuff and then he would 
he would use that money for, for, to, you know, to do some good. Um, and then that's what, you know, like I was, I, I, I was never really successful at doing it, but, um, at least in the uh, narrative realm. Um, but you know, something with, with some kind of social, um, I don't, I don't want to say message, but, uh, uh, the theme at least, you know, some, mm-hmm. some exploration of, 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 um, something that, uh, you know, is, is socially, uh, relevant. Uh, so he's, he's one for sure. And then, you know, as far as like aesthetically, um, you know, the only thing, you know, the other person that comes to mind is, um, you know, Steve McQueen mm-hmm. and I gotta be honest, like I, I haven't seen, um, you know, his most recent work, but I was just so blown away by hunger, um, uh, that, you know, it, it's something that'll stick with me forever. And it's just as far as his, his, um, just the efficiency of his storytelling and his, his images is it's something that'll will stick with me forever. Um, and you know, he's, he's one too, who I think, you know, uh, really focuses on that life experience, yeah. um, about people that, you know, had been say marginalized or whatever, whether it's, you know, um, you know, the people from the South of Ireland or, uh, you know, the black experience in, in Britain. Um, you know, it's, uh, just that that's the the first two that I think would just come to my head as, as people I think about often and and work I would love to emulate. Two good choices indeed. Uh, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Um, uh, I would say not being mission focused is a big, uh, area you know, like, you know, again, what, what do you really want to say? What do you really, what are you really out to do? You know, always keeping that in the forefront of any decision you have to make. Right. And this was a, um, I think it was like Coppola. I was reading something and, um, you know, he was talking about making like the conversation. I said, well, what's a, what's a director's job? And he goes, well, you got to have this guide star. Of, of, so he goes, the conversation to me was all about secrecy. Mm-hmm. So whenever any department would come with me with a question, I would answer it. Well, what is this thing about, you know, how does this relate to secrecy? So he's like, so they're doing the hackman's wardrobe. They held up like a regular trench coat and a clear one, you know, <laughs> it's just such a weird wardrobe choices like this dude's wearing those cheap raincoats the whole movie but he's like that's what the wardrobe did and he said boom immediately i picked the clear one because he says that says something more about secrecy to me mm. you know of like of this i don't know juxtaposition of, of being covered yet exposed yeah you know and i was like okay well shit you know like and that does make the movie more interesting right so his mission the theme secrecy guided everything, you yeah. know? So it, it does help in that quick decision-making of the things that you got to do. Um, and the, and I would say the other thing is, um, is not considering the how, um, when immediately when you're considering a, a question. So, you know, a theme in this discussion has always been that reverse engineering. Yes. And that's, that's a big thing. So as soon as someone comes to me with an idea, 
you know, as part of this job, the, you know, after the idea comes out of their, uh, after I hear the idea, I'm immediately thinking of how mm-hmm. and, and when and who, um, to, to break it down. Cause you know, no idea is bad. Um, it's just what's possible given everything else that's going on. Yeah. And you know, so first is it, you know, is it, how does this, how does this, uh, meet the mission? And second, and how is it done given what we have? Yeah. I love that. And I promised this audience, we would talk about this at some point in the conversation. And I think it's been such a big part of your life and your mission, you know, speaking of being mission focused, I just wanted you to say a few words about it because I've done this kind of work as well or something similar. And, um, meant a lot to me to read about it as I spent the week in the world of Todd Luby. Uh, you've done a, a lot of mission work in Liberia, West Africa, Honduras, Central America. Um, mm-hmm. What is that experience or how has that experience impacted you uh, as a person as, as well as yeah. your film work? Um, yeah, definitely both have been intertwined. I, I would say everyone's got to, you gotta go to the developing world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's one of the most eye opening things that you could possibly do. Um, in, in, you know, when we talked about that safety net before and privilege, like it, it, this is the, the lesson that you learn most is for the vast majority of people in the world, there, there's absolutely no safety net, mm-hmm. you know, like, Watching, you know, people, you know, Honduras is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. Yep. It's like, it's always between like Honduras and um, Bolivia, but you know, like, you know, there's a lot of single women with, uh, you know, two to three kids mm-hmm. and they're making a dollar a day and they got young kids and it's like, how do you, how do you do that? You know, and they do it. And more so is the faith that they have is amazing in the face of positivity is, is so mind blowing, um, amidst such scarcity mm-hmm. like that. That's the thing that I think every American needs to see is literally, you know, there's no safety net. If, if they can't get the money, you know, like people don't eat, you know, and that's an experience for a lot of Americans, you know, let's not, um, uh, you know, you gotta be honest about that, but even in America, there is a shelter somewhere. Like there is some kind of lifeblood mm-hmm. It's unattractive as it may be, or impossible even to take advantage of those things as it often is. There's nothing in the developing world. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, government agency, there's no nonprofit, there's no shelter, there's no food banks, you know, things like that. Very, very, you know, and if there are, you got to get there somehow. And for a lot of people that I've, you know, seen both in going to Liberia and Honduras, that's a long walk, you know? And, you know, like you, you, you even hear the stories in Africa of like, you know, well, we go, you know, we walk two hours every day for water. And it's nuts, you know, and then the water might have a lot of worms in it and stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's crazy to even think about. So just water, you know, water, 
basic, to, you know, like, your basic I, yeah, it's, it's, it's so I, it, you know, it's like before I like went to Honduras, you know, I did some habitat for humanity trips and in, in uh, Guatemala, uh, in El Salvador. And that, you know, like that's, that's what I would encourage most people to do. Um, you know, like I, those experiences were so informing that I wanted to do a longer time overseas, uh, with, with people. And, um, you know, I, I think w- w- going back to, um, you know, sort of the hope and the positivity that everyone has and, and the faith that they have in, in that things will work out is, is really the, the biggest lesson there that, you know, frankly, you know, I think people, um, in the Western, more privileged world have more existential angst. Um, that is really like more, uh, negative than, than, you know, lacking of any sort of physical, um, comfort. Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, it, it just, just to see how people are so celebratory of life because they know how fragile it is. You think you'll ever make a feature film out of your experiences? You know, I, I tried to make a documentary about some of the moms I met in Honduras. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I have a lot pieced together, but uh, you know, like I think what, what I would really love to do is, you know, we had this weird thing where, you know, everyone had cell phones, uh, obviously, but, uh, we had this thing where, um, what well, we had a phone number that we gave everyone before we left. So please keep in touch. And then we went to the U S and lost that number. Mm. So they can get us. And, um, I would love to, to, you know, follow up on what happened. Cause as soon as we left Honduras, there was a coup there and, you know, things started getting crazier and, you know, um, you know, cartels, started really getting into Honduras to fill that void when there was like government still, you know, uh, instability. Um, so, you know, again, you know, these people already starting from a really scarce place, you know, how are they surviving there on their own? Um, so I would love to try to reconnect and then, you know, so at some point we have, you know, this footage from 08 and 09 and, and at some point going back to revisit to, to see, uh, what's going, you know, how, how they're doing, um, that, that would be, I think a really, um, that would be a, uh, a good project to really see. Um, yeah, I'd love to see that. That would be, and be amazing. And there is a difference, you know, when you go to Guatemala, you can give, you can give folks your Facebook page or whatever, cause they have the internet and they can Mm -hmm. have internet cafes and they can just look you up that way. But when you go to Honduras, which was right. the latest trip um, my family took the, oh, yeah. it's, they're so, it's so poor there that mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to be able to find you on the, right. on the internet. So it's a story that, mm-hmm. that needs to be told and told in a really yeah. unique way um, where it hits home. And we understand that at least to some degree um, our standard of living might um, you know, might come, you know, at the detriment of some poor people elsewhere. And that, yeah. That's totally another thing too, is like, you know, 
the, the abundance here is definitely, you know, it's, it's not necessarily zero sum, but you know, it's, it's like standard of living resourced. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I we mean, take a long straw and food. like suck those resources out and bring them right. It's like a, it's like yep. a type of type of fracking. Uh, it's a steal. A to, yeah. It's a steal. Yeah. It's a steal from Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there will be blood, which by the way, I've always said is like the best, um, entrepreneurial one of the best entrepreneurial movies of all time and nobody thinks right. of it that way but the yeah. opening scene with this man in the dirt yeah that's right. what it's like to have to build your own business from from scratch yeah. and nobody knows that more than you todd todd you've been awesome this has been an incredible conversation can you oh, let you. uh anytime can you let everybody know where they can find you on social media on the internet and maybe even see some of your work yeah, yeah so um and thank you for having me. It's a, uh, you know, the really great conversation. Um, always a pleasure to kind of sit down and go over things. And I'm always got my head buried in the day to day. So it's, it's really cathartic to sit back and talk about it at least a little bit. So I appreciate it. And hopefully I've said something that'll help someone at some point with something. Absolutely. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm, um, you know, I don't really check my Instagram much, but, uh, <laughs> for social media, you know, I, I do scroll on Facebook. The only post stuff about films we're showing. Um, so, you know, I'm just, it's my name, Todd Luby, Ben Dorgan. Um, and, um, yeah, my old film stuff, I haven't updated my website. So full disclosure, you're not going to see, you know, it's the, the, the website that I built myself and taught myself how to two websites is still up and it hasn't been updated in, you know, 10 years, but it's, you know, Obrigado productions and Obrigado is O B R I G A D O productions.com. So you can see, um, you know, uh, stuff about lefty. Um, and, uh, one of the, you know, the, my first real narrative and, or, uh, be good, which was, uh, the last narrative I did, uh, you know, Going on eight years ago now, but still readily available and still getting some royalties from it, which is nice too. Yeah. Another thing, filmmakers, you never know what's going to happen. Get a movie out there, put it online, and you know you could get some checks every month, which is always nice. That's nice. Um, <clears throat> so that, and then of course, you know, uh, for the festival, I'm just Todd Luby L O O B Y at BenFilm.org, and submit your movies. You know, we want to. Um, we want to go over as many as we possibly can get to, to get the best of the bunch and put them up on screen. Submissions are open now. Yes. They'll be open till like uh, early June. Um, but, um, you know, uh, next deadline is like April 11th and the prices go up a little bit. And so. what's the, what's the website yeah, for, for band film, Ben film, Ben film.org. Ben film.org. And then give me that email address one more time for submissions. Um, or your email that you just gave, I believe. Yeah. My email, Todd, T O D D dot Luby L O O B Y at benfilm.org. Beautiful. Beautiful. We'll end on this. Uh, you mentioned Donovan McNabb going to school with you being a year behind you. Yeah. What's your favorite mm -hmm. Donovan McNabb story? Do you have one from school? I, it's, he was such an interesting guy. I mean, like everyone, I mean, he, he just kind of floated around like, you know, he had, he had an aura, like he, he's a character. He was always just so loose. And I just remember, you know, some playoff games where, 
he would, uh, you know, he would just be singing before the game, just so relaxed. And, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how he played. He could, you know, he, he, he would just rise above everyone, you know? And, um, it was, it was really cool. Uh, cool to see, you know, how, uh, how far he got. Um, and then, you know, it, it was nice because I played DB, um, and it was always great to, to pick him off and practice, <laughs> you know, which probably only happened twice, but you know, at least you could say that. Absolutely, man. Todd, this has been amazing mm-hmm. and I appreciate you ending that on that note and, uh, let's stay in touch. And, and I'd yeah, love to please, be on the band in October. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have you out here as well. Absolutely. So let's for sure be in touch. Yes, sir. We're going to make it happen. Take care of yourself. And until next time, man, stay safe and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you, Chris. You too. All right, man. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.